Welcome to the West Side Audio Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message. And if you're looking for more ways to connect with West Side Assembly of God, feel free to check us out at www.westsideag.org. You'll find all the information about our service times, upcoming events, and opportunities for you to plug in and get connected with West Side Assembly of God. Additionally, you'll find a complete online archive of all of the previous and current messages absolutely free of charge. We hope you are encouraged by this week's message, and thanks again for downloading the West Side Audio Message Podcast. After this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. Someone. Wonder who. And the one that sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby. A rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. So these 24 elders were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne comes flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. And also in front of the throne, there was what what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures. And they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox, the third had a face like a man, and the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings, day and night. They never stop, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever they lay their crowns before the throne and say you are worthy O Lord and God to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being We have just caught a glimpse of something that happens in heaven. How many of you here this morning have been to heaven? I'm glad nobody raised their hand because I would have known you aren't listening to a thing I'm saying. (laughs) Some people just vote every time I ask, yeah, that's me, that's me. But so far you're still with me because I'm only into this for a few minutes. I haven't worn them out yet. They get wore out, they'll start nodding off. And then I really get into it. Yeah, my goal is to put every one of you to sleep one of these days, 100%. We've just caught a glimpse into heaven. I've never been there. You've never been there. What, what's happening there? What, what goes on? What's it like? And this is just a little slice of something in heaven. As John is caught up and enters the throne room. What a majestic, intimidating place to be. I mean, there's a lot of places you could be in heaven. You could be down by the river of life. 
sitting under the trees of life. And you can be out in the streets, in the streets of gold and things that are in the new Jerusalem. He ends up in the throne room of all the places to be. And he writes meticulously, this is what I saw. I saw somebody sitting on a throne. And this somebody happened to be God. He saw God in his throne room, sitting on his throne. And he writes and describes it. Now, we are privileged to have John having seen this lived recorded it and told us what he saw there and from this whole vision that John saw in heaven there are certain things about God that leap out at me because I believe God wanted to give a message to the churches because when he wrote these specific letters to the churches, he didn't quit writing to the churches in the rest of Revelation. The churches read the book of Revelation when they got the letter. So when it finished talking about God's particular concerns about each church, the letter wasn't done. Here's the rest of what they were reading. What did it mean to them? They just read an account of holy God in heaven and how awe-inspiring that vision really was. Here's the first thing I want to tell you about God that is revealed to us from this, this vision that he has. And I don't want to mean vision in the sense that he wasn't really there. He, he was caught up. Maybe his body stayed here, maybe it didn't, but he was there. He saw something very real. And the first thing that I'm going to extract from this is God is awesome and majestic. Isn't it pretty obvious from this? God wanted the churches to know, I am awesome. I am majestic. Why? Well, this is an intimidating scene. There is no doubt in my mind when John entered that throne room, found himself there. At least this would have been what I did. I cannot help but believe that John did the same thing. Found himself in the middle of the throne room in heaven and looks around at what's going on and says, I don't belong here. What am I doing here? It's like you want to shrink back and just be a mouse in the corner. You are a misfit. You are an earthling. You are a corrupt being in the midst of a very holy place where things are going on that everybody knows what they're doing. It's all very well rehearsed. They know what he doesn't know what he's supposed to be doing. Should I kneel with the elders? Or what? I don't know what to do here. He must have felt very much out of place like any one of us would have. And the centerpiece of this whole scene is God on the throne. This magnificent throne, brilliant red beams of light radiating from him. It reminded John of highly polished jasper and rubies, the only thing he could grasp on earth to make the earthlings understand what he was seeing, that these red 
beams of light looked like highly polished jewels emanating from God on the throne. And this rainbow that completely encircled him also looking like jewels. Seven lamps that were mounted in front of the throne and they were burning at bright full volume. And John said these were the seven spirits of God. Let's, let's don't even get off into that. We'll lose track. What do you mean the seven spirits of God? Well, God, I think most, most scholars agree that there aren't literally seven spirits, but it's representative of something, the fullness of the power of God. Not literally seven different spirits, but just the fullness. And we're, we're just trying to demonstrate to you the power, the authority of what John was seeing here. The brilliant polished floor of the throne room. He said, the only thing I can liken it to, it just looked like a sea of glass. Not a smudge, not a crack, not a flaw in it. Just a glassy sea on this throne room floor. Not a footprint. It's almost like John would hate to even be walking on it. 24 little thrones positioned around God's throne. And upon these thrones sat some people that John identified as elders. To some degree, somehow, some way, very important people. I don't have one of those 24 thrones for me. These 24 thrones hosted somebody of greater importance and significance than just me. But there they were, elders. And here were the 24 of the greatest elders ever in the history of all time sitting there. And they, as important as they were, were completely eclipsed and dwarfed by the great majesty of this person who sat on the main throne. These 24 elders were nothing. It was God that was the center of all attention. And from this throne, modern contemporary worship teams would love this. From this throne, this light show indescribable it seemed like it was constant activity lightning shooting forth from the throne thunder continuously peeling and rolling in the background lightning thunder coming from where coming from the great power and majesty and magnificence of this great God who sits on the throne I've seen laser light shows. They're pathetic compared to this. John watching, lightning flashing, thunder rolling. Oh, this must be somebody pretty important. It's the great God above all. It's the creator of all. Yeah, somebody pretty important. The one above whom there is no other. The Most High, the Great Almighty. And a dinky little laser light show just doesn't do justice to the great 
God of all the universe. And even as John tries to describe it, it has to fall woefully shy. John was in the presence of the Almighty that mere mortals had never known anything about. The second thing that God wanted the churches to know about himself was he's holy. John describes four creatures, four living creatures, that their whole business was dedicated to flying around and crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And as long as they were flying around and declaring his holiness, the 24 elders were taking their crowns off and laying them down because it's a symbol of complete surrender and honor. We have crowns, but this is the one to whom we give our crown. All of this so rich in the symbolism. And these four creatures that he tries to describe, he's never seen anything like it. He says one kind of looked like a lion. One looked like an ox to some degree. The third one was really ugly. It looked like a man. And the fourth looked like an eagle. And twice in this short paragraph, John mentions another detail. Two times. He couldn't get over it. He said, they were full of eyes. Now, that's kind of grotesque to me. And then a couple breaths later, he said, did I mention they were full of eyes? He said, I looked at him, and even under the wings, there was eyes everywhere. And they had six wings. Now, John doesn't say they flew. If you want to be real picky about what the Scripture says. But Isaiah saw a similar thing. And when Isaiah saw it, he said they were flying. So we might safely assume, without doing any damage to the Scripture, that with six wings, they were more than just decoration. They were flying, and with their wings spread, John could see that, my goodness, there's more eyes. <laughs> they got eyes everywhere. When Isaiah saw a glimpse of the heavenly throne room, he saw creatures flying around, six-winged creatures. And he, too, witnessed the temple was shaking under the thunderous tones of praise to God by the living creatures. And he saw smoke filling the temple, something that John never recorded and never saw, but there was this smoke filling the temple. And it had such a profound effect on Isaiah that in anguish, he cries out for his own personal unworthiness when he sees all of this. And he says, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. Let's put this in perspective. Let's put this in perspective. The Isaiah, a holy priest, serving his duties in a holy temple. Come
coming from a holy people is transported to heaven in the presence of a holy God and he melts and says I am a man of unclean lips the holiest man and the holiest job from the holiest tribe on the face of the earth felt filthy in the sight of God what's that say about your holiness We should never walk in the arrogance of thinking how holy and righteous that we are. All of our righteousness is like filthy rags. It bothers me that somehow we think we can be righteous. We can achieve perfection. You can't achieve perfection. You just can't do it. Neither does that mean you ought to give up. Neither does that mean you should quit trying because I'll never be good enough. God just has to take me just as I am. No, God wants you to continue to try and live for him, to try and be obedient to him. He knows you're not perfect. It's no shock to him. He's already got that figured out. But that's where grace comes in. Grace that is sufficient for all of our sins. Isaiah, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. Well, then his angel rushes to the altar and gets a coal, retrieves it from the altar with his tongs and goes and places it on the lips of Isaiah, this hot burning coal, and, and uh, purges his lips. And then Isaiah has this transformation in his spirit. And God says, now, I'm just pondering. I'm just wondering, who shall I send? And Isaiah suddenly has this, this change of heart and change of mind. He said, Lord, send me. I want to go. There's something about having a fresh revelation of God that prepares us for his service, that makes us more comfortable with who he is, that takes away the doubts and the fears. We need this fresh revelation. I don't think we totally grasp what the holiness of God means. We hear people suggest that God's greatest attribute is love. That, that's probably the most popular thought in this day and age. God is a great big God of love. It's his greatest attribute. I even see this mentioned from time to time as people are preaching, teaching, or just talking about God. Uh, he, the, God is God of love. And you know what I n almost never hear people talk about is God is so great. He's... He's holy. They always want to talk about he's God of love, but they don't want to talk about he's holy. Now, in heaven, when they, they're going to talk about God's greatest attribute. I remind you, these winged creatures are not flying around God saying, love, love, love is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. They could, if it were true, but they did not pick the second most important attribute of God or the third most important attribute of God. They said, we'll ignore the first ones, the first two, verse three. We'll get down the list somewhere and we'll just talk about what God is. Omnipotent, omnipotent, omnipotent. Love, love, love. They, they focused in on the one thing that defines God more than anything else and he's a holy God. He's holy and we're not. And when I say we don't grasp the holiness of God, I think that comes out in the way we behave. The way we behave in church. The way we behave in our life as Christians six days a week between Sundays. 
Because I think sometimes we forget. He's a holy God. He sees us. He watches us. What are we doing that God is watching us that we dismiss as it's no big deal? God doesn't care. If you caught a vision of how holy God is and how filthy we are, I think it would change our lifestyle significantly. I would think it would change the things that we say, the things that we think. It would change our attitudes because we would constantly be aware He's holy. Once in a while you see things going on in church. Not necessarily in our service, but just in the church building. Things going on that you think, don't they know this is God's house and God is holy? Jesus had that an encounter as well. He walks into the temple. And they had gotten away from the purpose of the temple and the money changers were set up there and they were exchanging uh, uh, money uh, so that the currency so they could purchase the pigeons and the doves and the things for sacrifice and they were shortchanging the people not giving them their value and they were making a good living off of these, these, this money changing business. And Jesus comes in and says, where did this nonsense come from? And he began to turn the tables over and took his whip and he began to slash the whip. I don't know if he hit anybody or not. But he scared them. Get out of my father's house. Get out of this. This is my father. You don't know my father. If you knew my father like I knew him, you would not do this nonsense. We don't have a good idea. Day by day, 24 hours a day of the holiness of God. It will change you if you get that revelation. The third thing I want to talk about is God is worthy of all worship. We have a fairly good idea of what worship is like on earth. It can vary from dead silence to riotous, noisy free, noisy free for alls. And we recognize, somebody recognizes all of those styles as a form of worship. Worship here on earth seems to be an extension of our personalities. You ever notice that? You ever notice shy people worship in a very shy manner? And boisterous people worship in a very boisterous manner? We, we, our personalities seem to come through in our worship. Extremely shy people just can't get comfortable enough to physically, visibly, demonstrably worship. They worship in their little cocoon. Here I am hidden away. My eyes are closed because when my eyes are closed nobody can see me. Just quietly worshiping God. And then you got that noisy church down there. If you're not making noisy, you're weird. You, you, you stand out from the crowd because you're not with it. <laughs> Come on, man, get with it. We, we have a fairly idea. The various styles of worship. But personalities don't shape the worship in heaven. Worship in heaven is not a passive thing. Worship in heaven is an active thing. It doesn't matter to me how you worship here on earth. 
It doesn't matter to me that people tend to choose a church that makes them feel more comfortable when they worship. This is earth. This is now. Everything's going to change when we get to heaven. Whatever you do here on earth, that's one thing. But I tell you, when you get to heaven, your personality is not going to have anything to do with how you worship. Because when you are in that throne room, and God is sitting on that throne, and the lightning is zipping by your head, ten different directions, and the thunder is rumbling under your feet, I'm telling you, you're going to get with it. When you realize that God is there on his throne and he is the most high God, you're going to get with it. Whenever those creatures start flying around the throne and saying, he is holy, he is holy, he is holy, he is holy, the one who was, the one who is, the one who is to come, and the 24 elders, they get down and they take their crowns off. You're going to say, let me be a part of that. This God is holy. I want to worship him like everybody is worshiping him. rafter-rattling bass from the rolling thunder. I like bass. I like thunder. Oh, when those storms come and that thunder starts, I just, I'm, I am mesmerized by thunder. I like that low rumble. Can't wait to get there in heaven and feel it shaking the throne room. I'm going, yeah. Turn up the bass. <laughs> I like it. But nobody's daydreaming about the roast in the oven when they're in heaven. Nobody's checking their watch when they're in heaven. So how long is this worship service going to go on? I've got places to be. I've got people to see. Earthly rules just don't apply in heavenly worship. This powerful, overwhelming presence of God just draws out the praise from all of creation because they're not limited by fear. They're not limited by self-consciousness. They're not limited by being tired or weary. I didn't get enough sleep last night. The reason I was dead as a fish in service this morning. There's no cheap seats in heaven's worship center. There's no silent bystanders in, worships, in, in, in heaven's worship center. You don't have this fringe crowd back here watching the worship going on. Everybody's engaged in heaven because you can't help but being engaged when you're in God's throne room. You know why we have struggles, why we struggle with worship here on earth? We don't have a fresh revelation of God and who he is and he is worthy of worship and if that grabbed a hold of us, every one of us would be on our face in the carpet. We just don't get it. That's the reason we sit there thinking how nice it is to be here because we don't realize that God is so powerful and so magnificent. You must worship him. The great creator who is so far above creation we can never attain a fraction of his level. To, to realize that he loved us and he created us for his fellowship. All of heaven's occupants realize that. The angels, the creatures, the redeemed, they're all there. The genius architect behind all of this creation, there he is. He's the one that made it all. He's the one that designed it. He's the one that put together the DNA molecule. He's the one that put the millions of lines of code into the DNA molecule to make us do what we do and think like we think and act like we This is the genius behind it all. And here we are in his presence. No passive worship. 
And you know, I think the psalmist must have caught a slight taste of what it means to finally comprehend the greatness and the magnitude of God when it seems like he walked out into the night and looked into the sky, a beautiful, brilliant, starlit night, and he began to see the heavens, and his soul was overwhelmed. My goodness, who could ever make such a universe as this? And he sits down and he writes, when I consider your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon, the stars, which you've set in place. What is mankind that you're mindful of him? Who am I? The God that created all of this, why does he care about me? The sun, the moon, the stars, the universes, the galaxies, what? Why me? That's what the psalmist writes. When I consider all of this, why would such a creator care about me? So we worship him. God is not a God of stone and wood. He takes notice of us. He's the God that a simple cup of water given in his name, this, this deity that is running the universe, a simple cup of water that is given silently in his name. He takes notice. Sensitive, caring, loving God. When we worship him, here this morning, when we worship him, when we lift our hearts and our hands to him, God sees from heaven all around this world where they're worshiping him. God sees. He doesn't just get reports that says they're worshiping you on earth. He sees it. I know I see. I see every one of them. I know who's lifting their hands to me. He is awesome and majestic. He is holy. He is worthy of our worship. So we ask, why did the congregants of the seven churches need to be so powerfully reminded of these things about God? Because when you continue to read Revelation, you see what was coming upon the people, preparing them. When you realize that these people lived in a culture where idol worship presented such a great challenge to Christianity, they were living in a culture where it was mandatory that you worship Caesar as God. And eventually this would come to a head where some Christians would have to stand around and say, I cannot, I will not, you are not God, he is and you are not, do what you must. The reason they needed this, the reason they needed to know he's almighty, the reason they needed, needed to know he's holy, because he is not Caesar, he is God. The reason they need to know he is worthy of worship is because that would give them the strength 
to know that when they took a stand and say, I refuse to call anybody else God but the one most high God. The reason they needed to know he was almighty is whenever that began to come against them, the pressures of this world, the temptations to deny God came against them. They needed to be able to stand there and say, do what you must, but my God is sitting on the throne and he's going to have the last word, not you. That's the reason we need a fresh revelation of God. Because no matter what you're going through, when you realize that God is on the throne, you can make it. My final point, just give me a second, God is in charge. And this might be the most important point stressed by this heavenly vision. You simply cannot despair when you truly believe and understand God is in charge. He's not sitting on that throne as just a, a, a paper tiger, as just a, a false front, as just a, a figurehead. No, he's, he, he's sitting there because that's his throne. He's in charge. He's got control of it all. When it looks like it's all running haywire, he's still in charge. He's still on the throne. I had a friend of mine that he was talking about what the church he attended in Whittier, California. And the pastor of that church was a, a short little man. And he said, but when he walked into that boardroom and he sat down in that chair and he crossed his arms, he said everybody knew he was in charge. I'm reminded, I've told you about Vaudie Lambert, my district superintendent in Alabama. I loved Vaudie, one of the greatest pulpiteers, one of the greatest preachers I've ever heard in my life was Vaudie Lambert. Short little guy, 5'5", five, 5'4", five, 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 five. But when he stood behind that pulpit, you knew he was in charge. And just something about knowing when God is sitting on that throne that it doesn't make any difference what the devil says and how hell rages and what he whispers in your ear and what he suggests and how he says it's all coming apart, it's all falling down around you, it's worthless, it's hopeless, it's no good, you're not going to make it. you got to remind him, I just caught a fresh vision of heaven. And I want to tell you, God is still on the throne. He's in charge. The best thing we can ever do is get that revelation of God. Believing the great omnipotent God in heaven is watching over us and guiding us and protecting us is enough to carry us through whatever earthly trial we may have to face. No matter what you're going through, God's not absent. He's not ignoring you. He's not on vacation. He's not out of reach. He's not preoccupied. He's not overbooked. You don't need an appointment six weeks from now to get through to him. And like the old song says, his line ain't never busy. Amen. Call him up. Tell him what you want. He's watching over you. He's preparing the way for you. He's walking with you. He's going to catch you when you fall. He's going to nurse you back to health again. And the enemy can't launch a sneak attack against you because God also got eyes. Sees everywhere at all the same time. You can't sneak up on him or his children. He knows. That's why we need a fresh revelation. Bow your heads.